This is Africa Digest. Your time is 1700 hours Central African time. Hello and welcome to Africa Digest on Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. We are in Johannesburg in South Africa on frequency 9625 kHz on the 31-meter band to Southern Africa and on 802 on the DSTV audio bouquet. My name is Spomila Lezondi. This hour and Musa has your news. Usani Matebula has your economic news and Neto Chaman has your sports. Your top stories. 11 Cameroonians freed from rebel group Cap- in the Central African Republic. Zimbabwean president attacks a protest pastor even Mawarire. In economics, the IMF says corruption in South Africa is hampering reforms needed to boost economic growth. And in sports, Nigeria Football Federation named Paul Legun as their new coach. Here's En Musa with the news. A very good afternoon to you. I'm Anne Musa. UN Children's Agency UNICEF says 11 people have died in a suspected cholera outbreak in South Sudan. The organization says there are 72 suspected cases so far, including 36 in the capital, Juba. The others are in Bo and Terekeke counties. The ministry issued an alert on Sunday after suspected cases started arriving Friday at the Juba Teaching Hospital. Last year, 47 people died in South Sudan in a cholera outbreak and 167 died from the disease in 2014. UNICEF has meanwhile warned that some 49,000 children will die of malnutrition in the militancy-riddled areas of northeastern Nigeria if they do not get any treatment. The regional director of the United Nations Children's Emergency Fund has called on charities and donors to respond quickly to avert a tragedy in the troubled Bono state. The international medical charity Doctors Without Borders have also warned of a humanitarian emergency in the city of Bama, where it said 200 people died in June. Boko Haram started its campaign of militancy in 2009 with the aim of toppling the central government in Nigeria. It has so far taken the lives of more than 20,000 people and forced over 2.5 million others from their homes. For the first time, there has been a significant focus on transgender issues at the 21st International AIDS Conference that's currently underway in Durban in South Africa. Various non-profit organizations have added their voices calling for the inclusion of minority groups in the fight against HIV-AIDS. Leanne van der Merwe, director of the Social Health and Empowerment part of the African Trans Women, says the transgender women continue to be stigmatized by several by some health workers. Even in my context of organizing in the Eastern Cape, trans women have faced a lot of impediments in terms of accessing care. You know, when trans women have a document that doesn't reflect their chosen name and gender identity and they have to access ARVs, we have to be considerate of that because for a trans woman to go into spaces where she has to use a legal name that was assigned to her at birth could potentially mean violence while she's waiting in a room to access ARVs. And, you know, there's always confusion, you know, when trans women go and, you know, pick up folders um, in the healthcare, you know, facilities. 
All seven South African Broadcasting Corporation journalists who were suspended or were facing disciplinary action have now been fired. The eighth freelance of William Volko will no longer be called for duty. Four of the journalists received their letters of dismissal via email yesterday, while, the, while three were notified today for bringing the corporation into disrepute. They plan to approach the Labour Court on Thursday. Meanwhile, the Democratic Alliance National Spokesperson and MP Pumzile Van Dam has led a picket and handed over the party's memorandum to the office of the ANC's chief whip in Parliament, Jackson Timbu. Today to pickets in support of four of the SABC eight who were yesterday dismissed from the SABC uh, for apparently uh, what appears to be really just a slight on the ego of SABC CEO Claudio Mutsuneng. We are here to demand that Parliament take action not only in this instance but also in just the crisis, the governance crisis at the SABC over the last couple of months. We will be handing over a memorandum to the office of the ANC Chief Whip as well as uh, the office of Minister Mutambu here in Parliament. And finally, the International Court of Justice in The Hague in the Netherlands has delivered its decision in favour of South Africa in the contentious proceedings involving the former Southwest African, now Namibia, this week, 50 years ago. Having been part of the South African delegation, Rian Ixtian was South Africa's first ambassador to, to Namibia after independence. The Americans warned South Africa a week before the time that South Africa must adhere to the decision of the court because they expected it would go against South Africa. Uh, And if not, then South Africa would face sanctions in terms of the charter uh, and also that it would probably have led to South Africa being removed out of uh, Southwest Africa. Had that occurred, uh, the territory would not have been ready for uh, independence at that early stage. So the decision was an important one in many, many respects. That's the news headlines at 5.30 Central African Time. Thank you very much, and your time is 17.06 Central African Time, right here on Africa Digest on Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Now 11 Cameroonians, including the mayor of the northern town of Lajo, have been freed from captivity where they had been seized by a rebel group from the Central African Republic more than a year ago. Channel Africa's Moki Kinzeka discussed with the hostages the conditions under which they were detained and reports from Yawunde. Government ministers, family members and a crowd of onlookers turned out in Cameroon's capital to receive Mama Abakai and ten others who returned from the troubled Central African Republic after 16 months of captivity. Mama Abakai says they were seized by armed men from the East Cameroonian villages of Gobio and Yokoshaya and taken across the border to the bushes in the war-torn Central African Republic where they were detained under very difficult conditions. Vous êtes enchaînés deux à deux. Vous avez un litre d'eau à partager à deux toute la journée. Vous mangez une fois à 14 heures. He says they were divided into groups of two and chained from the leg through the abdomen and at times hands. 
He says two people were given a liter of water to share for 24 hours and they ate only one local meal a day for 18 months. He says they were authorized to go to the toilet twice a day at 10 o'clock and at 5 p.m., adding that they lost hope when the rebels said if the government of Cameroon did not pay for their liberation letters July 31, 2016, they would be killed. Abakai said two of the hostages died under deplorable conditions in CAR and expressed gratitude to God and the government of Cameroon for helping to save his life, but added that he did not know if ransoms were paid, although the hostage takers asked for money. 48-year-old Dauda Abdullahi, who was taken alongside the mayor, says the armed men told them they were members of a movement fighting for the liberation of the Central African Republic. He says they promised to kill them if the government of Cameroon refused to pay undisclosed sums of money to secure their release. I he says a group of soldiers armed with war rifles claiming to belong to the Democratic Front for the Central African People, led by Abubakar Siddiqui, took them to the bush where they were tortured every morning. He says they were kept in villages not close to human settlements. Cameroon's Minister of Defense, Joseph Betty Asomo, who received the freed hostages, refused to comment on how much Cameroon paid to release the hostages, but said negotiations were carried out following instructions from President Paul Biya. He says Cameroon President Paul Biya discreetly and efficiently coordinated all the processes that led to their release. He says their main preoccupation now is to take care of the health needs and psychological care and that Cameroonians are rejoicing that their compatriots are back home from captivity. Armed groups from CAR have been attacking Cameroon on several occasions to seize cattle and businessmen and ask for ransoms from their family or steal their properties. Cameroon shares a 900-kilometer-long boundary with the landlocked CAR and presently hosts 300,000 refugees from the neighboring state. Reporting for Channel Africa, this is Moki Kinzuka in Yaoundé. 17.11 Central African time. Amid unrest caused by various grievances caused mainly by alleged poor policies and mismanagement and a call by church leaders for political leadership to reform, President Robert Mugabe has attacked protest preachers even Mawarire. During the burial of a fallen national hero, Mugabe admitted the grievances were genuine but attacked the protest preacher, calling him a hypocrite. The utterance by Mugabe becomes the first in public after preacher Mawarire's arrest last week. Here's Simon Machemwa. 92-year-old Zimbabwean leader President Robert Mugabe on Tuesday attacked the popular protest preacher Evan Mawarire, calling him a hypocrite. In his remarks, 
made in public for the first time after Mawarire's arrest last week, Mugabe called on the preacher to concentrate more on peace. Mugabe said Mawarire could be an agent of the West, calling God in reverse to mean dog and hence should not be listened to. Utterances by Mugabe were made during the burial of the fallen hero amid growing civil unrest in the country. The Mawarires, I, I don't even know him. Mawarires and, and those who believe in that way of living in our country, well, are not part of us. They are not part of us in thinking. They are not part of us as we try to live together. If they don't like to live with us, let them go to those who are sponsoring them. To the countries of those who are sponsoring them, fine. Mugabe attacked the popular Harare-based preacher Ivan Mawarire for causing mayhem in the country with his social media calls for citizens to protest against poverty and the 36 years of misgovernance. Mawarire's call for Zimbabweans to beat fear marks the start of civil unrest in the country from the beginning of this month. However, Mugabe said Mawarire would only succeed if he were dead. You can't urge people to adopt violence, violent demonstrations as the way of life or the way of solving grievances. No. We will say no. Forever no. Find another environment if you are a pastor. I don't know if he's a man of religion. A man of religion, we would hope, would preach, preach biblical peace. The first Corinthians, what does it say? Love one another, not destroy one another, fight one another. Mugabe's remarks come at a time when millions of Zimbabweans are saying the aged leader is far divorced from the realities of poverty amongst his own people. However, Mugabe considered Zimbabwe is facing serious economic challenges blamed on the targeted sanctions imposed by the USA and the EU member states. If I made a suggestion that perhaps you might not have liked, you would say, uh, Prime Minister, later on, President, can't we, don't you think this is better, a better way of doing things? Always finding a way of reconciling the, his viewpoint with the viewpoint I had. And this is what we mustn't have in society, trying to agree and never trying to differ, trying to create harmony and not cry, trying to create disharmony in society. Although Mugabe and his leadership continue to blame the West for the problems causing so much anger among its youth in the country, churches have vowed to continue raising awareness for citizens to overcome fear and rise against misgovernance in the country. Reporting for Channel Africa in Harare, Zimbabwe, this is Simon Muchemwam. 
across the globe every second there's always a breaking story Kultranjoy for Channel Africa Radio in Ethiopia's capital Addis Ababa For Channel Africa I'm Lilian Strobach reporting from the ICC in The Hague Reporting for Channel Africa I am Hilda Kekeloa in Zambia Our cutting edge and hard hitting journalism leaves no stone unturned giving you the whole picture every time George Muhango Channel Africa Blantyre. This is Lansana Fofana reporting for Channel Africa from Freetown. Reporting for Channel Africa in Harare, Zimbabwe. This is Simon Muchemwa. Reporting for Channel Africa. This is Moki Kinzeka in Yaoundi. From an African perspective, listen to Channel Africa in English, Kiswahili, French, Silozi, Portuguese, and Chinyanja. Informing the world about Africa. in Lesotho. Reporting for Channel Africa, Mwaigi Konyo in Nairobi. Join us every day and know what is happening around you. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Our Twitter account is Channel Africa One. That is Channel Africa One. That's our Twitter account. Our email address is info at channelafrica.co.za. Thank you very much for staying with Africa Digest. The Republican Party is the sideshow and Donald Trump is the main act. So says a South African comedian and host of the Daily Show, Trevor Noah, on location in Cleveland, Ohio, the venue of the Republican convention that is expected to formally nominate the presumptive nominee later this week. Noah has regularly used his television platform to lay into the New York businessman come politician, something unlikely to change in the days leading up to his formal selection on Thursday. Sean Bryce Peace is in Cleveland and sent us this report. The only time anyone should be struggling to choose between Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump is if they're picking a Halloween costume, people. <laughs> a clip from a recent taping of The Daily Show. Republican Party delegates descend en masse on the Buckeye State to rally around their candidate for president. But they are being closely shadowed by a large media contingent that includes television host and comedian Trevor Noah. This election is not about whether or not Donald Trump is a good candidate, whether or not people believe that he can run the country. This election for many of them is just about how much they do not want Hillary Clinton to be in the Oval Office. Every conversation you give is directed to that. Every conversation, every question that you ask is turned and pivoted. You say, do you like Donald Trump? They say the question is, uh, do we prefer Hillary in the, in the White House? And I think it's a very strange election in that people are not saying, vote for me. They're saying, don't vote for that person. That's what this election has become about. This convention will come to order. This election cycle is more than a year old, with about four months to go before the November 8th election. But it remains unclear what exactly will determine who comes out on top. We do know the Republicans are losing, that's what we know. Uh, But in terms of who's going to win, I don't know. It depends day to day. It depends on uh, if something gets blown up. It depends if there's an attack. It depends on a shooting. It depends. Everything changes every single day, unfortunately. And uh, you have two candidates taking very different stances on issues and the way they are approaching what is happening in the world is very different. So essentially, there is no winner that can be predetermined. You'd be a fool to, to, to call out a winner right now. The comedian joked about the lack of support Mr. Trump's convention is getting from establishment Republicans, a vast majority who are no-shows this week, including the governor of Ohio and former presidential candidate John Kasich. There's no one speaking. I mean, the governor of the state that we're in is not speaking 
at the, at the same convention. That, that should tell you something. We're in a space where people do not want to be associated with Trump. Real Republicans do not want to be associated with Donald Trump, and the few that are doing it begrudgingly. Noah believes comedy is an important tool through which to enjoy what has at times been a chaotic, if not bizarre, election season. He was asked what a Trump presidency would look like. I think it would look very orange. Um, I also think if Donald Trump was president, you would have a country that would be run by a person who genuinely seems to be the kind of person who flies by the seats of his pants. You know, he is a, a self you know, a grandizing man who is just making it up as he goes along. You saw it with his VP announcement. You see it when he gives speeches. Donald Trump is just making it up as he goes along. This is a reality show. We are all in Donald Trump's reality show, and uh, he's winning. That's what's happening. He's not winning in terms of doing well. He's not winning in terms of healing a country. He's winning because the cameras are on him. This is Trevor Noah's first convention ever and promises to be a baptism of fire from the politics to the protests and the partisanship. He continues to demonstrate a keen ability to absorb all of it and therein find the funny moments. I'm Sherman Bricepies in Cleveland, Ohio. A number of African countries have raised concern that the world is giving so much assistance to countries in the Middle East and Europe for refugees than those in Africa. This was acknowledged by Margaret McKelvey, Director of the Office of the Assistance for Africa at the U.S. Bureau of Population, Refugees and Migration in a recent press teleconference in Washington. She was responding to a question about the scale of refugee crises in Africa compared to the current refugee and migration situation in Europe. Jane Rabotata reports. Margaret McKelvey, Director of the Office of Assistance for Africa at the U.S. Bureau of Population, Refugees and Migration, said comparing the refugee crisis in Africa to that currently unfolding in Europe is a little bit comparing apples and oranges. One thing to think about in terms of scale is that when we're talking about the African continent, a huge area, obviously, with 54 countries, Europe being a much smaller area and fewer countries. And the other sort of caution here is when we're talking about refugees in Africa, when I say across the continent, which includes North Africa, by the way, that we are approaching 5 million, those are people who are recognized as refugees. The number of internally displaced across Africa would be around 11 million And the number of migrants is not a number that we have. Certainly there are, at any given time, hundreds of thousands of people on the move. Now, on the European side, they are receiving many hundreds of thousands of people (laughs) coming across the Mediterranean, both from North Africa and from the Middle East. Germany has said that it has taken in a million people But not all of those would necessarily be refugees. They could be people who had refugee status in the Middle East and have come across as a secondary movement. The time is another factor in this. Uh, The movements toward Europe have been enormous over the last year. And so that's much faster a movement, perhaps, than we have seen in many of the situations in Africa. 
However, she also added that both regions are feeling the press of people coming very acutely. Part of that feeling is related to size and scope, and part of it is just related to people's their perceptions and their fears. I will say that a number of African countries have said, why is it that the world is giving so much assistance to countries in the Middle East who have refugees and to Europe for refugees as compared to Africa? And that is a fair question. It's a question that, or an observation, I would say, that Kenya has made, that it has been hosting Somali refugees for decades and is not getting nearly the new assistance that, say, Turkey, which is hosting millions of Syrian and Afghan and other refugees. That is, you know, is true across the board for all kinds of development assistance and everything else. There are uh, inequities in our world on that. That's Margaret McKelvey, Director of the Office of Assistance for Africa at the U.S. Bureau of Population, Refugees and Migration. Reporting for Channel Africa, I am Jane Rabutata in Johannesburg. Remember that you can tweet us your thoughts on Channel Africa One. That is Channel Africa One. If you want to engage with us on any of the contents that we have right here on Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Um, on the story that we started with, or the story that was second rather, um, in the program today about President Robert Mugabe of Zimbabwe criticizing Pastor Ivan Mawarire, who led the This Flag campaign in Zimbabwe and was arrested last week and later released. Um, we have a tweet from someone who tweets as um, a Jujulicious, and they are pretty much saying that Ivan Mawarire is stupidity at its best, and they are saying to... Um, Robert Mugabe, they're saying Robert RGM is a hero and will lead Zim to Canaan. And someone responding to that tweet is um, someone by the name of Tevera Marumo and who says, no ways, he failed already and he can't reach Canaan. And that, of course, is President Robert Mugabe that they feel um, has failed already and cannot reach Canaan. Now, let's go to the DRC, where the United Nations High Commissioner for Human Rights, Zaid Rad al-Hussein, is on a four-day official visit in the Democratic Republic of Congo. He started his visit in the east of the country, where he arrived on Monday to look at human rights situation in both the South and North Kivu provinces, before concluding in Kinshasa. Jean-Noel Bamwenze reports from Kinshasa. The chief of the UN High Commission for Human Rights has come here in the Democratic Republic of Congo at the invitation of this country's government. At this time, Zaidra Dal Hussein is visiting both Goma in the North Kivu and Bukavu in the South Kivu for meetings with both provincial officials and local civil society organizations before he can come and conclude his trip here in Kinshasa on Thursday. The UN High Commissioner for Human Rights visit has come while this country's human rights situation is not very good as we are moving towards elections supposed to be held next November. The UN Joint Office for Human Rights has documented an increase of human rights abuses these last days and this is what the Chief of UN High Commission for Human Rights is discussing here according to the Office Director Jose Maria Aranaz. Here, here, and the invitation of the government 
I'm here discussing the different interlocutors about the human rights situation as the country is embarking into very important period. Uh, we will do soon our, our monthly report. Uh, there is a large number of human rights abuses uh, with the majority of the law committed by state actors with people in conflict uh, where the majority of human rights violations uh, are committed either by national or international armed but also by state actors and there is a very increased mm-hmm. to the electoral process. He's in the East, he started from the East because he was going to Kinshasa also. During this visit, Zaidra Dal Hussein has a very busy agenda, including a meeting with President Joseph Kabila and other meetings with different top officials dealing with human rights here in the DRC. Among the personalities to meet are the Minister of Foreign Affairs, the Minister of Justice and Human Rights, the Minister of Home Affairs, the Minister of Defense, and the President's personal representative on fighting sexual violence and recruitment of child soldiers. According to the agenda, Zaid Raad al-Hussein will also meet the Speaker of the National Assembly, the President of the Senate, the Chairperson of the Independent National Electoral Commission, the President of the National Human Rights Commission, the civil society organizations, members of the international community, and the UN agencies operating here. Jean-Noël Bamweze, Channel Africa, Kinshasa. This is Channel Africa, South Africa's official international public radio station on shortwave, internet and satellite. From an African perspective, listen to Channel Africa in English, Kiswahili, French, Silozi, Portuguese and Chinyanja. Informing the world about Africa. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. 17.30 Central African Time. You are still listening to Africa Digest on Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. And it's time for your news headlines now with Anne Mosa. A very good evening to you. In the headlines, UN aid workers have warned nearly 50,000 children could die from malnutrition in Nigeria's northeast unless they get help urgently. In South Sudan, concern is growing over the increasing number of people attempting to flee the country to Uganda following recent violence. And for the first time, there has been a significant focus on transgender issues at the 21st International AIDS Conference, currently underway in Durban in South Africa. Those are the stories making headlines. Thank you very much, And South Africa's port city of Durban is a hive of activity as it enters its second day today, hosting the 2016 installment of the Global HIV-AIDS Conference. The conference is the premier gathering for those working in the field of HIV, as well as policymakers, persons living with HIV, and other individuals committed to ending the pandemic. Sarah Chitambo is project manager at the South African-based Zazi campaign, which seeks to empower women to tap into their inner strength in order to deal with adversity. 
It's really a momentous occasion, Bikona. The last time that International AIDS Conference was held in Durban in the year 2000, it's a wide contrast to what is happening this year. If you look back at the stats when we were here last time, most of us men were very young, but we can remember there was a lot of AIDS denialism at the time. There was zero people on treatment, and there was a lot of uh, backlash and advocacy that was happening in terms of getting treatment on the ground in South Africa. So from there, then in the year 2000 to now, we have a treatment, one of the biggest treatment campaigns in the world in South Africa. So that's a big thing that's happened since then, as well as the drop in the number of the babies that are born HIV-free. Mm. Back then in the year 2000, when we first held the conference, there was a lot of anxiety and a lot of depressing statistics around uh, babies being born with mm. HIV. But they've literally been able to reduce that to less than 2% of babies being mm. born without HIV. So it's very promising. There's a very bit much an air of a lot of progress having been made, but also obviously a lot of challenges. You've mentioned quite a number of strides that have been made in the past few years. And, um, of course, you, as part of the Zazi campaign, uh, your main objective is with uh, young women, uh, particularly girls. Now, they bear the brunt of the bulk of the infections worldwide. Tell us a little bit about that and what your main objective then becomes, you know, as the Zazi campaign with regards to the fight against this virus. With regards to the Zazi campaign, I mean, what we're trying to instill really is to bring back the power to young women to control their sexuality, to control what happens to their bodies. A lot of the time, you know, women feel powerless and are socialized to be receivers and being people who things happen to. So what we try to do is shift that mindset and shift it to becoming empowered young women who can make wise, informed decisions and have self-esteem to act on the agency that they know that they have. Mm -hmm. You know, so our campaign is primarily focused on prevention of HIV Mm -hmm. through the use of contraception, through pushing female-controlled contraceptive methods such as female condoms, such as PrEP. You know, we try to give them and empower them with contraceptives and resources that really make it easier for them to prevent becoming statistics of HIV. Now, Sarah, under this, you've had a lot of projects um, that you've spearheaded, of course, um, in various communities. How have they been received? And uh, really, what are some of the sentiments of the young people that you do get to interact with from time to time? I think there's a lot of um, hope for young women. And what they always say, you educate a young woman, you educate a village. Because really, it's, it's women are empowered and women have the knowledge to be able to become fully functioning and independent beings. They can affect a lot of change on a wider and broader spectrum of society. So, I mean, the sentiment on the ground is a lot of young women really, there's a plea for help. There's a plea for how do I negotiate safe sex, you know? How do I, as a young woman, stay in school when I'm not necessarily the priority at my home? How do I, as a young woman, having the responsibility of looking after my siblings because my parents have died of HIV, how can I still be in school and still take care of them? So there's really a big sentiment that there's a lot that needs to be done to help and support young women. Mm. Now, what are you hoping uh, to walk away with, you know, from the conference? I mean, it's still early days. The conference is still underway. What we're really looking for here at this campaign, just short of a vaccine and short of a cure, is new prevention techniques. (laughs) Mm. There's new ways that young women, we really want, I mean, we've done a lot of PrEP studies that, and pre, uh, studies around preventative medication that can help people prevent HIV. 
You know, so this is what we're really looking for. How can we get these out into communities? How can we get strategies such as female condoms? We always hear about female condoms, but we know that the design is not the best. We know that you can go to a clinic and you will get a male condom, but you can't get a female condom. How do we advocate for their accessibility and for them to be also be provided free of charge the way mm. male condoms are? Mm. So we're really pushing for, you know, techniques and ways in which to empower young women to be able to prevent HIV. And going on from this is to really get practical things that we can take back to communities and not just talk and promise. That is the voice of Sarah Chitambo, project manager at Zazi, talking to Zikona Miso. We, the people of South Africa, feel fulfilled that humanity has taken us back into its bosom. The world has seen how deeply he believes in freedom, human dignity, and the right of the individual to fulfill his or her dream. I think for the rest of the world, his legacy will be the symbolism of his own character, of his extraordinary gift for forgiveness and reconciliation. Nelson Mandela is a living embodiment of the highest values of the United Nations. Nelson Mandela, South Africa's giant in history. This is Channel Africa. South Africa's official international public radio station on shortwave, internet, and satellite. From an African perspective, listen to Channel Africa in English, Kiswahili, French, Silozi, Portuguese, and Chinyanja, informing the world about Africa. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. 17.37 Central African Time. You're still listening to Africa Digest on Channel Africa. The voice of the African Renaissance is Channel Africa 1 on Twitter. Channel Africa 1 on Twitter. Friday the 15th of July 2016 will go down in history as a day when two South African airway flights took to the sky powered by biofuels for the first time in 80 years since it became operational and the first in Africa. The sustainable biofuel is extracted from a nicotine free Solaris tobacco grown in Limbobo province of South Africa. Pule Palazzi was there and filed this report. That's SAA Boeing 737-800 taking off from OR Tambo International Airport to Cape Town, powered by sustainable biofuels. It was a pleasant and normal flight, but seems to have a reduced engine noise, and experts say biofuels improve performance with efficient fuel consumption. With an hour remaining before landing in Cape Town, then came this announcement from a content captain. I'd like you to sit back, relax, and enjoy this flight with us. Some further, further information, uh, we'll be climbing up to 30,000 feet, our initial cruising altitude, due to some strong headwinds, and uh, once we through the winds, eventually up to 36,000 feet. We're in Cape Town at the moment, partly cloudy conditions, forecast for rain showers uh, during the day, and the temperature at the moment is 13 degrees Celsius. I trust you're going to enjoy this history-making flight with us.
Solaris plant is a tobacco plant which produces small leaves and flowers and seeds that are crushed to extract a vegetable oil. The remaining seed cake is used as a high-protein animal feed supplement that also contributes to food security. It is part of Project Solaris, conceived two and a half years ago with the aim to contribute to reducing environmental pollution. It involved partnerships with Sky Energy, the only refiner in the world which produces biojet fuel on a commercial scale. Suncam South Africa, which worked closely with farmers in Bobo to grow the crop and other players. SAA Environmental Specialist Ian Craigshank says clean energy is a responsible thing to do. We've publicly stated that we want to be the most environmentally sustainable airline in the world by 2023. It's a public statement that we've made and it's something that we're working towards in this 10-year strategy. Um, And this is a great uh, achievement, one of our cornerstones of the program. So a lot of people have asked this question, really, why bother? It's it's a lot of work, it's a lot of effort. Is it really worth it? and so we start looking at uh, this thing called responsible travel that's starting to drive the market. A lot of people are saying, well, we need to make educated and conscientious and ethical choices. Uh, when you start looking at some of the statistics that pop out there, it makes a lot of commercial sense. And, and I think if you're on the right side of the ethical choice, uh, you're in a very good position. Craig Shank says there's no doubt SAA needs biofuels. By 2023, SAA will need half a million litres to be sustainable. But the question is, how will this objective be achieved? And what are the benefits for going this route? Craig Shank again. So we're looking to take a regional approach. We have some um, neighbours. We have some great farmland in South Africa, but we have some neighbours that also grow tobacco and grow it extremely well. So we're looking at a regional approach, spread the love as it were, We're looking for each region to grow tobacco, to process that tobacco in their region, and then to ship the oil uh, back to South Africa. We we have these ambitions of establishing a refinery in South Africa that can actually refine all this oil from the region. Um, So the impact that this has, it's a lovely program, it's great, it's good to talk about, we have a, a full house of media here, but the actual impact to South Africa, the macroeconomic impact. So not only do we get security of supply of, of this energy source, but um, and we're very acutely aware of this as an airline, we are very much beholden to the ups and downs of the US dollar. It's very difficult for us to conduct business. We have to hedge our currency. With this, we don't have to go and buy dollars in the open market because the supply chain is in rand, and we don't have to take those dollars that were bought and go buy oil, which also goes up, to, up and down. So what we have here is a project that actually gives us a lot of stability. But what it does for South Africa is it has a massive social impact. When we start rolling this out and we scale it up to over 100,000 hectares eventually, we're creating thousands and thousands of jobs. We're creating benefits for thousands and thousands of smallholders and their families as well. And all the economies that develop around those things. So that's a very strong um, motivation for us. SAA Chief Executive Officer Musa Zwani weighed in, saying he was proud SAA is leading the way in Africa. But I think the other thing that makes me proud today is that we again have participated in this innovation to bring us here with the, the cleanest fuel. And I think we should say that it's, 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 it's homegrown. Our farmers are here, and I'm proud to say thank you to them. I think this gives us an opportunity as South Africans to say, yes, we can actually use our soil to produce something that can take us here safely. So we are taking something that 
you know, Dr. Mtwanidi is trying to get rid of tobacco, cigarette, and we're using it to fly to Cape Town. Isn't that good? I am very proud uh, for, for, for that. He says participation in the project is in support of South Africa's development agenda, which entails job creation and giving opportunities to smallholder farmers to participate in the economy, taking into account that by 2023, SAA aims to have 50% of its fleet flying on biofuels. He challenged local players in the energy industry to play their part. Currently, biofuels are refined in Europe, which is not ideal for an economy that aspires to be self-sufficient. We would be very happy if it's refined in South Africa. So I'm challenging our refiners, I'm challenging here the likes of Sasso, the likes of PetroSA, etc., to participate in this project, to make sure that we have homegrown feedstocks and that we have our refineries participating and that we have our aircrafts flying on this fuel. So, Sasso, PetroSA, Engine, we are looking at you. Come join us. And that is Musa Zwane, the acting chief executive officer of South African Airways, ending that report by Pule Palate. It's 17.45 Central African Time, your economic news now with Wissane Matabula. Good evening. Uh, Barclays has begun a formal process to sell its Egyptian unit with at least two banks from the Middle East and North African region expressing interest in the business. The UK-based lender is offloading its Africa unit as part of a plan by CEO Jess Staley to simplify its structure and seek higher shareholder returns. Banks have now been invited to submit bids for the Egyptian business, which are due at the end of August. Butler's Egypt's equity value currently stands at 400 million US dollars. Meanwhile, Ghana will issue a five-year city bond on Thursday to roll over maturing paper as it seeks cheaper financing to reduce its high public debt. The government is seeking to raise up to 253 million US dollars from the issue. It is open to non-resident investors. Butley's Bank Ghana, Stanbeck Ghana and Accra-based Strategic African Securities are lead arrangers. The West African country is following a three-year program agreed with the International Monetary Fund to reduce its public debt and bring down inflation and the fiscal deficit in exchange for financial aid. And Nigeria's Sterling Bank has ended talks to buy rival Keystone Bank after finding it unsuitable fit. Sterling Bank is now focused on raising funds as it considers other acquisitions. The bank said in February that it was aiming to buy one or two medium-sized lenders as sharp falls in the value of the Naira and increased regulatory pressure forced banks to recapitalize. Keystone Bank is the last of Nigeria's nationalized lenders, which a state-backed bank, Emcon, is seeking to sell. South Africa's power utility, ESCOM, says the increase in backyard dwellers in some parts of the country and illegal electricity connection is adding pressure to the electricity network. ESCOM Group Chief Executive Brian Mulife says this is the main reason why electricity trips sometimes, causing blackouts in some areas. 
When there are illegal connections and uh, there is a trip as a result of the overloading of the system, that trip does not happen uh, just to the area where there's an illegal connection. It affects an entire community, uh, sometimes 3,000, sometimes 5,000 people uh, in the area are affected, people that had nothing to do with the illegal connection. It's, it's difficult to quantify because they are a function of the uh, informal settlements that are springing up. Uh, as well as uh, the tenants uh, that people are carrying in their stands because we have quite uh, uh, a significant uh, a number of uh, call-outs for illegal connections. The International Monetary Fund says corruption in South Africa is hampering reforms needed to boost economic growth. The global lender says uh, greater transparency is needed at state-owned companies. IMF's first deputy managing director, David Lipton, says cutting taxes and increasing government spending will not solve South Africa's problems. Let's look now at the markets. Uh, the dollar trading at 14.31 South African rands at 10.63 Botswana Pula and 10.01 Zambian Kwacha. Also trading at 0.75 to the British pound and 0.9 against the euro. Commodities gold $1,329. Platinum $1,089 per fine ounce. The spot price of Brent crude oil at $46.80 per barrel. And that's your economics news. Thank you very much, Usani. It's your sports news now with Neto Chaman. Good evening, sport fans. With your latest sport news at this hour, I'm Neto and ETO Chemani. As expected, the Technical and Development Committee of the Nigeria Football Federation yesterday named Frenchman Paul Leguen as the new Super Eagles head coach, subject to agreement on personal terms. Addressing newsmen in Abuja yesterday, a member of the Technical Committee, Paul Basi, said Leguen is to be assisted by Salisi Yusuf and Imama Amapagabo. Aloy Agu is the goalkeeper's trainer. Meanwhile, President of the Nigeria Football Federation, NFF, Amajupinik, has reassured the desire of his federation to see the country qualify for the Russia 2018 FIFA World Cup. Pinnick said the decision to get a quality coach was taken after the failure of the nation to qualify for the 2017 Africa Cup of Nations, AFCON. South Africa's senior women's football team depart for Rio, Brazil this weekend ahead of their participation in their second Olympic Games. Banyana Banyana have been grouped in a tough group along with hosts Brazil, Sweden and China in Group E. Banyana Banyana wrapped up their preparations with a 1-0 defeat to the USA in a friendly match two weeks ago. Coach Vera Pau is aware of the pressure that lies ahead but says they will perform to the best of their ability at the World Spectacle. Of course, do everything to get out of the group stages. But it's not a mandate because everybody knows that we are 52 in the uh, world ranking list and that our opponents are in the top uh, top 12 of the world. So that would not be realistic to put that as a mandate. And he's not say, said it like that. He hopes that we get through the group stage, of course, but he um, expects us to give us all and to give everything we have and to show the world 
what we're do, doing and how Bayana Bayana is growing to the World Cup. Meanwhile, South Africa's under-23 team were held to a one-all draw in a practice match against last season's APSA Premiership runners-up Bitvers Vets on Monday after beating Mamelodi Sundowns reserves 3-1 last week Friday. The team is in the final phase of preparations ahead of their depurate to Rio Brazil this coming Saturday. Head coach Owen Dakama says the matches have provided a good opportunity for the technical staff to test the versatility of his squad and believes they are taking shape ahead of their tournament opener against hosts Brazil on the 4th of August. No, they're taking shape very well. Eh? Friday we played Sundowns, uh, today we played Vets, I mean, top clubs, you know. Um, so it was um, it was nice, uh, you know, with the versatility of the players, how we could shift players around to different positions. And I think that's going to help us with such a small squad of 18. That will certainly help us. Yeah, I think when you have 18 players, you know, um, you, you need a lot of versatility in there. I mean, we've got uh, eight players who can play more than two positions. So that's quite satisfying so far. At the same time, Kezo Chiefs goalkeeper Itumelenkune says he is delighted to be part of the team going to their second Olympics. I'm very grateful and I'm happy that I've been recognized as one of the overage players. With my experience, I think I will be able to, to help the guys to, to, to settle in. And not only me, most of the guys in the squad have been called up to Bafana before, so there's plenty of experience here and we will help each other. In the tournament, China expects strong pressure to win medals at the next month's Olympics in Rio de Janeiro. China topped the medals table at the 2008 Beijing Olympics and came second at the 2012 London Olympics behind the United States. Events where Chinese wins were celebrated with an outpouring of national pride, something likely to be repeated in Brazil. The English language newspaper says China will face a tougher time in Brazil to keep up their dominance in sports like gymnastics and badminton as other countries have improved their abilities. China will send 416 athletes to Rio de Janeiro next month, its largest overseas delegation in Olympic history. Sports Minister Liu Peng says they are also taking a zero-tolerance approach to doping and have taken all the necessary measures to ensure that all athletes are clean. And finally, Bulgarian junior national team coach will replace freestyle wrestler Liu Ben Liev at next month's Olympic Rio Olympics after the 27-year-old went missing. Liev just sank out of sight. We can't reach him, Bulgarian freestyle wrestling team coach Valentin Rechev told local media on Tuesday. We'll rely on junior team coach Dimitar Kumchev at the Olympics. Rechev described Liev originally scheduled to compete in the 125kg category in Rio as emotionally unstable and said the wrestler went missing on July 4 when the national team returned to Bulgaria following a training camp in Russia. Stay tuned to Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. This is Africa Digest. Your time is 17.55 Central African time right here on Africa Digest on Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. 
Let's recap our top stories. 11 Cameroonians are freed from rebel group captivity in the Central African Republic. Zimbabwean president attacks protest pastor Ivan Mawarire. And that wraps up Africa Digest for today from myself as Pumelele Zondi. Rather for this hour from myself as Pumelele Zondi, producer Luanda Mawame, technical producer Debo Homosweu, and the rest of the Africa Digest team. Thank you very much for listening. You can send us emails around info at channelafrica.co.za. That is info at channelafrica.co.za. On SMS, you're on plus two seven seven nine six nine five seven nine three zero plus two seven seven nine six nine five seven nine. You can also tweet us on Channel Africa 1. We leave you with We Are Africans by Mzi and Rafiki.